Welcome to Luke 21 Radio, a broadcast explaining biblical prophecy in the tradition of St. Augustine. And now, from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Luke 21 Radio. We continue our study in the book of Daniel. Again, we're in chapter 9. We're going to start by talking about predictive prophecy. Chapter 9 begins with Daniel pondering the predictive prophecy of Jeremiah. Now, you might say, well, isn't that almost an oxymoron? I mean, prophecy can be or is predictive, but in order to make the point about predictive prophecy, I need to tell you something about a significant portion of Scripture scholars. The reason stems from their being very smart. I don't know if you're aware of how smart some really advanced Scripture scholars are. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with being smart, even really smart. But here's where things go off the rails when Scripture scholars exalt their intellect and simultaneously demote God's omniscience so that they're on the same level, we have problems. And you might say they say to themselves and amongst themselves at their conference, really, how can anyone predict the future? It's humanly impossible. Yes, I agree, it is humanly impossible, but it's not divinely impossible. God can and does know the future, and he controls it. Daniel, godly man, knew from the scriptures that God had revealed the future of the Jewish people in captivity. And this was revealed in the prophecy that God gave to Jeremiah that there would be 70 years of captivity. And that's why Daniel opens in the second verse saying, I, Daniel, perceive in the books the number of years according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. This is predictive prophecy. This isn't uh, phony prophecy that basically uh, looks like it's predicting something in the future. Really, it's history written under the guise of prophecy. That's what many modern scripture scholars would say. But notice, it says in Daniel, Daniel perceived this, perceived the 70-year captivity uh, because of the word of the Lord revealed to Jeremiah. That's why there was predictive prophecy, because God was doing it. This wasn't just an exalted human reason. This was God's ability to see the past, present, and future. So predictive prophecy isn't a big deal if you're God. It's a huge deal if you're very smart and you happen to think that God can only do kind of what you can do, maybe times two or something, but it, it eliminates the idea of God predicting the future. Jeremiah chapter 25 and verse 8, it says, thus says the Lord of hosts, then dropping down to verse 11, the whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. And then after 70 years, the Babylonians themselves would be judged. 
Now, you know, there's a lot of really lousy scripture teaching flying around in the modern world. It's been in the United States for about 100 years. It came to us from Germany. It really infected mainline Protestantism. Evangelicals are struggling with it to a degree, and now the the Protestant rot from Germany has invaded many Catholic circles. Here is one. Listen to this. This is from the UCAT, the Youth Catechism promoted among Catholic youth. It says, the Bible is not meant to convey precise historical information. Would somebody please tell the folks at UCAT that then Daniel had it wrong? This is pretty precise historical information that Jeremiah and Daniel came up with. The UCAT continues, moreover, the authors were children of their time. They shared the cultural ideas of the world around them and were also dominated by its errors. This is modern biblical criticism applied to Catholic youth. Now, as the old cowboy and Indian movies would say, somebody's speaking with a forked tongue because just on the previous page of the UCAT, it quotes the Catechism of the Catholic Church, section 107, which very truthfully and honestly and forthrightly defends the reliability of scriptures. It says the books of scripture firmly, faithfully, and without error teach the truth. Now, <laughs> the next page says, oh no, they're dominated by errors. Uh, you can't have it both ways. All right, now we come to a very significant situation if you're going to be applying prophecy, people want it light. I want to know the future, but I want it to be a happy future and a future that doesn't involve much suffering and or judgment. Jeremiah 29.10 says, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Now listen carefully. Restoration does occur, but it's after judgment. I have heard so many bloggers, talkers, broadcasters, writers, and everything else on our cultural and ecclesiastical situation, and they say, well, we're going to experience a restoration soon. A new dawn is about to emerge. I vehemently disagree. There have been 50 million abortions performed in the United States just since 1973. And God says in Genesis 9, for your lifeblood, I will surely require a reckoning. I will require it of man, of every man's brother, I will require the life of man. This is very serious stuff. And the so-called traditionalists or so-called conservative Catholics all prophesying restoration. Well, restoration can and will come in some form, but these promises of restoration, as I tried to highlight in the previous episode as well, it comes after the judgment, not before. Now, secondly, 
the restoration that comes after the judgment isn't automatic. In other words, for some reason, a lot of people feel that prophecy can only go one way. That's, you know, basically denying that judgment comes before restoration. And then secondly, that restoration will just come because that's the nature of things. And that's not true. Basically, what had happened is that ancient Israel had violated God's law. In particular, the Sabbath laws, not just keeping the seventh day holy, but the seventh year. This was the big economic pinch because they were to work the land six years, let the land lie fallow or rest the seventh year that God would bless them, take care of their needs. But, you know, they wanted to have a 24-7, 365 economy like ours and just push everything out. And who cares? We make people work Thanksgiving and, uh, you know, all day Sundays as unnecessary work and this type of thing. This is just what we have today, which is what we have back then. So it's this all comes from the law in Leviticus, which nobody reads, but in any case, Leviticus 26. If you want predictive prophecy, it's based on the two ways in God's law. You you follow the law, you're blessed, and all comprehensive blessings come. You disobey, and all kinds of things go wrong. And it says in Leviticus 26, it says basically, if you are going to ignore the law, then the land shall enjoy its Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate while you are in your enemy's land. So it's just like um, defying God by jumping out of a tall building. You're not defying God. You're not defying gravity. Uh, You know, there's a, a, a reality that we only hurt ourselves if we disobey. So Leviticus 26 says you neglect the Sabbath year, your land's gonna enjoy its rest while you're deported as prisoners to Babylon. But you come to Leviticus 26 and verse 40, just drop down a little bit in Leviticus 26. God says, but if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers, which they committed against me by walking contrary to me, if, if, conditional, if then their uncircumcised heart is humbled and they make amends for their iniquity, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob, Isaac, and Abraham. Now, Leviticus, that was chapter 26, verses 40, 41, and 42. Daniel chapter 9 is the fulfillment of the conditional restoration promise in Leviticus 26. The same chapter that basically laid out the desolation and the captivity talked about the restoration that would come through prayer. And Daniel chapter 9 records Daniel's prayer for restoration. I personally consider it, and a lot of others do, perhaps one of the, if not the greatest prayers in all of Scripture. And Daniel chapter 9 and verse 20 says, While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin 
and the sin of my people Israel, presenting my supplication before the Lord my God while I was speaking in prayer, Gabriel came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. Now, we're not told in Scripture anybody else was doing this, but we do know from Scripture that Daniel was praying based on his trust in the truthfulness of Scripture, based on his trust in the predictive prophecy of Jeremiah, based on his trust in the law of God, based on his trust on God himself who doesn't lie. And basically, you see Daniel taking together Jeremiah and Leviticus 26. Here's a man who knew the scriptures, even scriptures which many were ignoring, and based on those, acted in humility and a great prayer. And while he was still praying, I mean, I could, I don't know, this is me and I can't prove this, but I just imagine God waiting for somebody to do this. He's waiting for the restoration after judgment, but that has to be conditioned upon turning to him in humility and confession. And Daniel is doing this, and lo and behold, while he is still praying, talking about a quick answer to prayer, he's still praying, and Gabriel shows up to tell him how God is going to fulfill the petitions that Daniel just prayed to God Almighty. We live in a day where there's a den of theological doubters in God's word. But just remember what St. Peter said in his second epistle, we have the prophetic word made more sure. You would do well to pay attention to it as a lamp shining in a dark place. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 164 of Luke 21 Radio. Luke 21 is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. To learn more about biblical prophecy, visit us online at luke21.com.